The three things we, first Sunday we talked about growth, last week Sunday we were talking about grace. Today we're going to talk about gratitude from Luke chapter 17. And I'm going to teach or preach differently, opposite to what you see me do every Sunday in terms of giving you Greek words and Hebrew words and explaining everything. Today I want to kind of give an exhortation, preach, teach, just narrate stuff. And I'm hoping you can say amen very quick and get a little more quicker. But I want to exhort you and encourage you today because this text is loaded, Bazalon. It's an incredible text. And I like it because it's in the book of Luke. The only place in the Bible where it talks about the ten lepers is here. No other gospel carries the story. Very interesting because when you look at Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, all these people, their style of writing is so different. And each book of the Bible, the Gospels in particular, tries to bring a different aspect of who Jesus was. When you read in the book of Matthew, the common expression that is ascribed to him is called the Son of Man. And Matthew is trying to bring across to us the humanity of Christ. That much as he's Christ, he's God, he's also man. And when you read Matthew, you, you see that side of Christ, of his humanity. John tries to bring across the aspect of this Christ who demonstrates and shows love. And you see Jesus who, you know, is so multifaceted and has so many faces. And he's a Jesus who brings about love. But then in Luke, very interesting. Luke, by the way, was not one of the 12 disciples of Christ. This Luke was a different Luke. He was a disciple of Christ as well, but not a, the, among the 12. He followed from afar. But he was a professional medical doctor. And when he writes, when you read the book of Luke, you can note this man's profession comes through his writing. So when he writes, even when he, when he describes the diseases and the conditions of people, you'll know that he goes into a little bit more detail than the other people. But what's also fascinating about this book of Luke is that Luke always had this sense in his writing where he always wants to bring out and show us how Jesus Christ was always there for people who are outcast and ostracized in society. So, you know, this is very interesting because it is in Luke where we read about these 10 lepers, nowhere else. Right, And I mean, Luke talks a lot about, you know, this, uh, even if other writers talk about it, but he's very emphatic about this side of Christ where Jesus went to the outcasts and the people that no one wanted to have anything to do with. So Luke 17 from verse 11, it's an incredible story. Let me read it for you. And I'm reading the King James Version Bible. It says, it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Note that, Samaria and Galilee, underline. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, note, which stood afar off, underline that. You know, I wonder if you have your e-Bible or underline a young, later young. You know, I've often wondered, later young. You highlight. Mara, it highlights the whole verse, Akir. Or you can highlight the word at a time. Or you tap. Mara, that is if you have an iPad or even a phone. What? Apple phone? Any smartphone? What about my Nokia? Doesn't matter. 
All right. I've often wondered. So you are able to highlight. Oh, I'm happy. At least you can. So don't underline, highlight. All right. It says which stood afar off. Underline or highlight. Verse 13. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master. Underline those two words. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. It says, and then when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourself to the priests. Underline, go show yourself to the priests. And it came to pass as they went, underline as they went, they were cleansed, underline they were cleansed. <laughs> I remember one guy was showing somebody his Bible. And this guy looks at this guy's Bible. It was underlined everywhere. So he's looking at this Bible and says, why don't you underline your Bible everywhere? He says, no, I only underlined the good parts. <laughs> I know some of you didn't get that. Go to your neighbor who didn't get it. Just explain. I just I only underlined the good parts. <laughs> Verse 14, and when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourself to the priest. Underline, go show yourself to the priest. And it came to pass as they went. Underline, as they went. They were cleansed. Underline, they were cleansed. Just the good parts. <laughs> and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Underline, turned back, loud voice. And he fell down on his face, underlined, fell down on his face, giving thanks, underlined thanks, and he was a Samaritan, underlined Samaritan. Only the good parts now. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Underline, where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Underline stranger. And he said unto them, Arise, go thy way. That faith has made thee whole. Underline made thee whole. The topic here today is gratitude. And I want to speak under the subtopic, Where are the nine? Let me give you the brief background of this text. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem and he decides to travel on a road that is between two provinces, Samaria and Galilee. The Bible says he traveled in the midst of. So he's passing through these two places. He travels through these two places, which at the time were considered as places of rejection. There are places where a mixed multitude of people lived. These are places where people with mixed blood lived. This was a problem in these days. And this was therefore a source of huge societal rejection in these days. There were Jewish people whose blood was mixed with other blood. There were Gentile people whose blood was mixed with Jewish people. And all of them lived in these regions of Galilee and Samaria. And so in the culture of the day, according to the politics of the time, and the politics of society, these were a rejected people. More so that among the pure-bred Jews, those who were not of mixed blood, they considered these people as renegades. Because they said, you violated the laws of God, you went and intermarried with other races, and therefore you have fallen out of the promise of God, so we don't want to have anything to do with you. So people in these regions were very used to being rejected. They were already used to being the scum of society, to be the lower rank of society. People didn't think much about them. But somehow Jesus Christ, on his way to Jerusalem, intentionally decides 
to take a road that's going to make him pass in these two regions of rejects. Because there's something about our God that God will not reject anybody. And there's something about God that God will go to the people that everybody is rejecting. Because rejection is a problem of society. Our world is a world of classism. It's a world of racism. It's a world that puts people into compartments, labels them, calls them a name, ostracizes them, subjugates them. But our God doesn't stand by and look at it without doing anything. God is attracted to a people who have been rejected. The truth is this, when you are rejected, when everybody doesn't want to have anything to do with you, it's a good chance for you to get to know the only one who wants to have something to do with you, and his name is Jesus Christ. Can I hear a good amen? And the Bible says Jesus decides to stop by in the midst of these two places. Galilee was a very important place to Jesus. This is where it was his boyhood home. In Matthew 2, 23, we read how he was a lad or a young man from Nazareth called a Nazarene, and it was prophesied about him that he would be from Nazareth, which was a place in Galilee. So this is where Jesus grew up as a boy. Secondly, all the disciples that Jesus chose, by the way, came from Galilee, except one, Judas Iscariot. We find that in Matthew 4, 18. Thirdly, it was here in Cana of Galilee in particular, where Jesus performed his first miracle. So the first miracle and the ex first expression of his power is carried out in a place of the rejected people. And it happens among those that are not counted on a high rank by society. That's in John 2.11. Thirdly, you know that of the 33 miracles that Jesus performed, 25 of them he performed in Galilee because rejected people have a capacity to receive a move of God. See, people whom society ostracizes and shifts aside, somehow they have a capacity to believe God. Those who are the scum of society, those that we consider as sinners. Jesus says, well, those who are sinners, they love more because they have been forgiven of a lot. And it's funny, when you read the Bible, it was not the religious people who fasted often, who gave tithes often, who went to church often. It wasn't that crowd that received a lot from Christ. Because there's something about it, when people get a religious spirit on them, they look at themselves as holier than thou. It's very rare where you find a religious people who as much as they are committed to God and they stay away from other things, they still embrace other people and love them. Even if they don't condone the wrong, they still love them in spite of their wrong. It takes a special kind of a person to do that. We also read in Matthew 4.13 that Capernaum in Galilee ultimately became the headquarters of the ministry of Christ. It's interesting to note that of the 22 parables that Jesus spoke, 19 of them were spoken in Galilee. So Galilee was an amazing place. In fact, most of the events of our Lord's life and ministry are set against the backdrop of the Galilean hills. So Galilee was an important place, even if it was a place of the rejected. And this is important for those of you who are rejected. 
for you to know that what society says about you is not what God says about you. It's important for you to know that even if you feel like a misfit, even if they've labeled you and called you names, even if they've already prophesied your destiny and they've told you what they think about you, what God thinks about you is far, far, far higher than what they think about you. God says, I know the plans that I have towards you. I said, God has plans for you, thoughts to give you peace, thoughts to give you a future and an expected end. This is why for me, I've really come to understand that really church by nature, it's a place of us, the rejected people. We come here with our problems and we come here with our issues as ESCOM is having issues of lights. We come here as people who don't know anything, people who are sinners, people who are bound. We come here as people who are sick on the verge of dying. We come here with broken marriages and with broken homes. We come here as drug addicts and alcoholics. We come here when society doesn't think much about us. And we congregate here because of our brokenness. And the reason we're able to connect is because we know what brokenness is. We know what rejection is. But Jesus locates himself in our midst. And it comes among us because the people who come from rejection, their only hope is Jesus. And no one else will take you in. Jesus will take you in. And he will love you. Interesting enough that Samaria was very similar to what we see in Galilee. Samaria was an attractive area, we are told, in terms of good fertile soil. It was a good place for trade. But the very attractiveness of a place became a problem because then it became a territory invaded by many people. There was a lot of trade that happened, lots of foreign nations that came, and they exposed the people of Samaria to all kinds of foreign religions. So the Samaritans fell into all kinds of belief systems, and of course by default, if people come there, they end up getting married to them. So these are Jewish people who had been married by people from other places who hadn't embraced the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it became a place, therefore, of people with mixed blood because of their intermarriage with foreigners. So the people of Samaria, therefore, were shunned by the Orthodox Jews. And therefore, the pure-blooded Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. This is why you find in John 4, 9, when Jesus spoke to this woman of Samaria, and when Jesus went to Samaria, the woman of Samaria couldn't take it. He says, how can you, being a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan woman? She couldn't take it. But you see, you've got to understand that God is not like people. God doesn't buy in the racism of people and the ethnicity of people. God doesn't allow people to be ostracized. God is not like that. In fact, when you ostracize people, you give God a reason to visit those people and to come to them. And this woman couldn't understand, how can you being a Samaritan? And Jesus interacts with this woman. And when you read the story in John 4, you know that his disciples don't know what to do with it. Because they are being confronted by God because God will confront you. God will confront me. God's not going to allow us as his followers to be racist, to ostracize people, to look down upon other people. 
Whilst we maintain our belief in God and we believe in holiness, rightness, righteousness, and we fulfill the requirements of a holy God, at the same time, we must still show love like God because God makes his reign and his son come on everybody. And it's a difficult balance for people because once people become religious, they become separatists and they get into sects and they become a select elect group and they, 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 they rally around each other and they will not let anyone who's not like them come into the group. But God is not like that. I said God's not like that. And I can tell you this church is not going to be like that. Everybody is welcome here. Everyone's welcome here at home. And as Pastor Ray would say, no perfect people allowed. Don't want anybody perfect because with your perfection, you will judge us. We are a bunch of people that God has and that's the reason we are here today. And that's why we are not ashamed to praise God because if it was not because of God, we wouldn't be here today. Can I hear an amen in the house? So Jesus passes through these two places where rejects are living. And while in this region, he goes to a village. The Bible doesn't tell us which village this was. It's an unnamed village. And he encounters these 10 men who had leprosy. Very interesting. A leper was a person who suffers from a slowly progressing and incurable skin disease. So leprosy is a chronic infectious disease characterized by sores, scabs, and white shining spots beneath the skin. Old Testament law was very detailed in its instructions regarding the recognition and the quarantine, now that we come from COVID, the quarantine of leprous persons. If the symptoms of leprosy showed up in a person, the priest was to decide if it was leprosy or some other disease. And because of the need to control the spread of the disease, for which there was no cure at this time, by the way, the law required that a leper be isolated from the rest of society. So when you are a leper, you are isolated. Imagine you are in Galilee, in Samaria, considered as a reject. And even in a rejected place, you get rejected even more. So you become the reject of the rejects. You know, when poor people say you are poor, you know, you are among poor people, you are all poor, but the poor people say you are poor. That's really bad. That's really poor. While that's the leper at the same time, not only were they isolated from the rest of society, they were required to wear clothes of mourning, not mourning like Hussein, like they're in mourning. By a color. They were required to wear clothes of mourning. They were required as well to leave their hair in disorder. Mohawk or something. <clears throat> leave their hair in disorder. And they were required to keep their beard covered. And anytime they saw anyone approach them, they were to cry out as loud as possible, unclean, unclean. They did this so that everyone could avoid them. Imagine. So these people had no social life at all. They had no social contact. They couldn't go to the mall. They couldn't go to the shop. They couldn't go to town. They couldn't get into a taxi. They couldn't get into a bus. Oftentimes, they would even be thrown out of the city, locked out of the city gates. 
left out there to be killed by dangerous animals. So when you had leprosy, you knew you were dying and your death was coming slowly. And every day was a dark day. Unless God intervenes, every day was a dark day. You're getting closer to your grave. You're dying slowly. But it's a slow death of rejection. It's a slow death where you are all alone. It's a slow death where nobody cares. It's a slow death where you see yourself waste away and there's nothing you can do about it. And as long as the disease lasted, they were to live in isolation away from other people. But God being God, sometimes people with leprosy would get healed miraculously. <laughs> like we see Moses getting healed in Exodus 4-7. Miriam getting healed in Numbers 12-10. Naaman getting healed in 2 Kings 5-1 and 10. And so the Mosaic law was very specific. If you got healed, you had to go through methods of purification as far as leprosy was concerned. And if you had gotten healed, you needed to present yourself to the priest. So by going to the priest, you're already making a statement that I'm already healed. Remember what I've just said. In other words, when you take a step to go to the priest, you're already saying, I'm already healed. And the priest then could examine you and he would determine whether you are healed. Now let's go to our text. Verse 11 says, it came to pass, he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria. And I'm saying Jesus intentionally goes to the place of the rejects. I want to say that today. Because society is not fair. Even our own families are not fair. Even church people are not fair. People have a way of rejecting. People have a way of ostracizing. In this place I went to yesterday... One of the daughters of the pastor, late pastor, stood up to speak as a PK. You know what a PK is? Pastor's kid, yeah. She stood up to speak as a PK. And I sat there, tears in my eyes, because I understood what she was talking about. And she was saying, and she wasn't the pastor, she's just a sister to the pastor. She was saying to everybody, we're also human. Well, you're too human. As, as pastor's children, we're human. We, we are born in the world like everybody. We make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, we don't want you to judge us and reject us. I've never understood why church people are harder on our children than they are to their own children. I've never understood. You know, I once had a conversation with my boys that broke my heart. It was the first time they opened up to me. And they told me how they were treated in church. I remember one day one of the ushers chasing my son out of the room, the VIP lounge, and said, get out. And my son said, no, I'm going to see my dad. And the usher said, I don't care who you are. I said, get out. You know, church people can be nasty, eh? I'm telling you. Church people can be strange. That's why it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of grace to still love the same people who do that to you and your children. If you see me here every Sunday preaching and nice and joking with you, doesn't mean you're all nice. Some of you are not nice at all. At all. But you need grace as a Muruti. God must strengthen you and make you strong. See them mistreat your wife, you know. 
call hand trainer and say all kinds of things. Oh, and I'm Rutuaka. Hypocrites. There's just something about religious people that we reject people. If your child doesn't follow in your footsteps, why reject them? What's the reason? I've spoken to lots of kids who've gone astray into things. And the one thing they say with tears in their eyes is that when I got into drugs, when I got into this, I had a society that embraced me. Instead, my mom and my dad would shout scriptures at me. We push verses down people's throats. Instead of, there are some times when you just need to hug them. You don't need to say anything. You don't need a verse. You don't need a verse. You just need to hug them. Like one pastor who said, my daughter came to me and told me she was pregnant. My unmarried child told me she was pregnant. Said that first response was critical. Said I stood up and I went to my daughter and I embraced her. And I said to her, I want to hug you and I want to slap you. Because it's, it's, it's the same, it's the truth. You want to slap her for the way she lives, but you want to hug her because she's your child. He's still my child. She's still my child, no matter what they do. And please don't forget that. They're still my child. And if you touch my child, you are touching me. And that's the way God feels. So Jesus goes to these people who are rejected. Because remember, he, he, he's a man of sorrow. Isaiah 53. He's a man who was acquainted with grief. He's a man who was rejected by people. John chapter 1 said, he came to his own and his own received him not. He had this thing hanging over his head about his background. Huru, you are are an illegitimate child and I don't know any illegitimate child. I know illegitimate parents. Not children. Children didn't bring themselves into the world. It's the parents. He had this hanging over his head. No one need to. Your mother got pregnant out of wedlock. Tell the truth. Then you tell us you are the son of God. We know you. You are a carpenter. We know you are from a poor place. You are from Galilee after all. Who are you? Jesus lived with that. So even the very people who had been waiting for him who had been looking forward to the Messiah when he came because he wasn't packaged in accordance with their prejudices. And this is why it's so hard for people to receive people that God uses because they don't come in our bourgeoisie packaging. They come packaged differently. They, they are awkward people. They come from a terrible background. They don't know how to put two words together. They, they come from broken homes and broken family. They come from a place of rejection. But when God has their hand upon, oh my goodness. Somebody in this place, get encouraged. If you are rejected, I'm saying it's society that's rejecting you. But there's a God in heaven who knows about you. And it's a God who will choose to take a road that comes to you. Somebody shout in the house, it takes a road that comes to you. And Jesus intentionally goes to the two regions. To the rejected people. Next verse. As he entered into the village, they made him ten men that were lepers. Note which stood afar off. Now you know why they stood afar off. They were not allowed to come close. They stood afar off because of the laws that man has made. They stood afar off because they had to comply with the Mosaic law. 
And because they stood afar off, verse 13, they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus. This is what I'm thinking. Probably they were standing afar off, they see a man walking and they're crying out, unclean, unclean. In other words, don't come close. Don't come any nearer. Unclean, we're contagious. Unclean, we're rejected. Unclean, we're ostracized. Unclean, have nothing to do with us. Unclean, and all of a sudden, but aha, get Jesus. Oh, no, then they changed their tone. Jesus! Master! Have mercy on us! We're in a society that doesn't show us mercy, but we know we can get mercy from you. We are among a people who don't care about us. They've thrown us out, but we know that you care about us. Jesus! Mercy! Note the sentence construction. They first say Jesus. In other words, they understand he's Jesus, he is, he's savior, he, he can get me out of my trouble. He's Jesus when I'm sick, he can heal me. He is Jesus who can deliver me. It is Jesus who came to deliver me for this purpose. The son of God was manifested that he might destroy the, the powers of the devil. It is Jesus, the mighty healer. Jesus, the rose of Sharon. It is Jesus, the bomb of Gilead. It is Jesus, if it doesn't matter what has gone wrong in my life. It doesn't matter how many years it has gone on in my life life. It is Jesus. Somebody say it is Jesus. Jesus. You the one who can bless me. You the one who can heal me. You the one who can deliver me. Jesus. You the one who can set me free. You the one who can break my bones. Jesus. Jesus. Mercy. I'm not coming to you because I deserve it. I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking for mercy. Look. Overlook everything that I've done Jesus and just come through for me because I'm rejected in this society and I'm dying slowly Jesus. Have mercy. But what I like about these guys, they don't stop calling him. Only with calling him Jesus. They say, Jesus, Master. That's different. They're saying, not only do we see you as Jesus, we see you as Master. Everything we are, everything we have, we give it to you. It will comply to you. Have everything about us, our life, our pockets, our lifestyle. Because there are many of God's people who know Jesus. They only know him as Jesus. They don't know him as master. They have given their hearts to him. They are born again. Matter their physical body, they haven't given it to the master at all. They live anyhow in their body. There are people who know him as Jesus, the healer. But they haven't given him their pockets. They don't give to him. They haven't submitted their financial life. Oh, I know you don't want to say amen, but there are people who don't recognize who Jesus is, that is master. If Jesus is my master, not only am I saved, he has bought me with a price. And everything about me belongs to him. He's my master. Can I hear an amen? And they are asking not for justice, for mercy. They're saying we can't work hard enough to earn this. We can't be good enough to earn it. We're just asking for mercy. Some of you are going to experience a touch of the mercy of God where you are right now. 
or even as I speak right now, there it is, the power of God is coming upon somebody. That person that we were talking about with a condition, there it is, the power of God is coming on you because you've been walking around in this sickness and disease and Satan has been lying to you that it is God's judgment. I'm here to dispel the lies of the devil. God loves you. You have walked around feeling rejected in your life, feeling like nobody wants to have anything to do with you. And when this disease came upon you, you received it as though it's a judgment from God. Hear the man of God today. Hear the word of the Lord today. God is touching you right there. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God that healeth. He is showing mercy, 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 mercy. Not judgment, mercy. Mercy, not judgment. He is there dispensing mercy, 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 mercy. He is a God of mercy. Let the mercy of God come upon you. Jesus. Master. Have mercy. And I was praying the other day when I was listening to the story of our nation and I couldn't help but, but bury my, my head in my hands and I just prayed, oh God, be merciful on South Africa. Oh God, be merciful on our nation. Oh God, be merciful. Be merciful on our children, God. Oh God, be merciful on our young people. Oh God, be merciful on the unemployed people. Oh God, God, be merciful. Be merciful on our leaders. Somebody say mercy. They cried out for the mercy. The mercy of God. I know it was He says they lifted up their voice. I worry about some of you. That when you come to God and when you come to church, you are so nice and proper. You'll never raise your voice to say amen or to sing. You'll never get out of your seat to come and dance in the front. You're so nice and proper. You're so executive. You're so erudite and astute that you'll never make a noise. You'll never raise your hand. You will never say amen. You will never do anything. And I know why. Maybe you've not been in trouble enough. Jesus. No, maybe you've never been in trouble enough. Maybe, maybe you've never been there when the devil is about to take your life. You've never been there when the devil is about to take you out. You were never there when the devil wanted to destroy your life and you didn't know where to go to, but Jesus showed up. You can't help it, but lift up your hands and shout hallelujah. You see, when you're in desperation, you don't become nice, you don't become cool, you don't become collected. You, you, you don't care who's looking at you. You don't care who is sitting next to you. I am desperate. It is my desperation that dictates the intensity of my shouting. It is my desperation that determines what I say to God. Somebody shout, Jesus! They lifted up their voice and shouted, Jesus. Now, take your seats for a while. Watch this. When he saw them, because You know, it's only recently that I'm starting to tell the stories of what I went through 
as a pastor in my training where I worked. I experienced a lot of rejection. Lots, 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 lots. I've never told you the story, and I'm not bitter. Mm. No, it hurt deeply back then. It doesn't hurt anymore. But I've come to understand something. Why you end up running to the only one who accepts you. You run to God because you come among your friends. They, they used to call me Uncle Tom, my friends. When I came into ministry, there's a group of theologians who analyzed us and, and gave a, a very detailed study. <laughs> and they used some very vulgar words on us. I can't use it, church. In the name of being analyzing theologically. And they, and they said we are, we are spiritually infertile because we are following white people. And how can I say Ray McCauley is my pastor? They even said Ray McCauley, not even pastor. How can a black guy in Soweto to follow a white man? It's bad when, I started, when we started the charismatic church. Many of you don't know. Our kind of churches were rejected. Of course, we had our own problems that were self-inflicted as well. But we were rejected. I remember going to a meeting where we were preparing a, a crusade for Reinhard Bonke. And I came in as pastor of the church. I was pastor of the church at the time. Oh, no, I was representing my... No, I was pastor of the church or representing my pastor, I think. One of the two. When I came to the meeting, they told me straight, they said, when I saw Nasukfunila. Yeah, hey, Pastor. Old enough to be my dad. But when I when I if they are so no when I'm fanam. Nasukfunila hamba. Oh yeah. No. When I came into ministry, lots of things happened. People left the church because they said I, I'm not suitable. They didn't want me. People had private meetings behind my back. Breaking the church. We chased away from the venue we were using because people were trying to plot to, for your demise. You know, when people plot for your downfall and, and they start having plans and schemes. I went through that as a pastor. I haven't told you. I know what rejection is. I know what rejection is. Having to start a church that used to have 150 people and because we were chased away from a venue, it went down to 35 people. And all the key people left. All the people trained in ministry left. We had 12 Rema graduates in our church. They all left when I became pastor. Every one of them left. And the ones that I thought were staying, they were just uh, pulling a wool over my eyes. They just stayed there for two weeks in Jena for conscience sake. And third week, they go gone. So here I am leading a church. No one else in the church has any semblance of what church should be like. I'm the only one who understands what must happen, and I must lead this thing called church. Yeah. And then you try to go to ministers fraternal, then they call you names. You end up being alone. Oh, yeah. Oh, you end up being alone. And, and then when the church starts working and people start coming, the very people you are leading do stuff to you. You know, when we're collecting money for offering over a time, People, when they saw me with a new shirt that comes, say, keep building offering. <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Lampana, all right. Lampana. Be right. 
<laughs> Anytime you, you buy a new church, in fact, even when we got married, there are some elderly women who wanted to tell me that she's not the right one for me. Yeah. They felt she's not spiritual enough to be my wife. You know, it's, you know church people. And then we decided, my wife and I, we're not going to have a child within the first year. We'll have them after two years. And then when we got a child in second year, one elderly lady came to me and said, How about that? So you know that much. No, no. Some of you are not nice. Some of you are just not nice people. You see, that's why we have a special anointing to be pastors. Otherwise, we would, we would, we would, we would order, we would order an inquiry every week for you. We wouldn't even be talking to some of you. But we still love you, you know, we still love people. We, we cry over you and pray over you in spite of your foolishness, some of you. Oh, yeah. But God is like that when you are rejected. And these people, they went to Jesus and they asked for mercy. And when he saw them, Jesus sees you. And for me, in that rejection, it was, it's almost like a contradiction that people are rejecting you. Marakamo, God has accepted you. It doesn't make sense. Come over, your church will fail. Marakamo is growing. There are statistics that you won't last over five years, but then 40 years later, you are still there. You know, it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's that kind of a thing. Oh, am I, am I preaching to somebody where they told you you are not going anywhere, but God is on your side? Am I preaching to somebody where they gave you a sell-by date? They put a date on you. They said you are not going to last, but look at what God has done. You are still here. Still here. Still here. They mock you and scoff you, but you are not a fellow. Just, just, just let them say whatever they say. God is on your side. Can I hear? God sees you. God sees you in that problem. It says, when Jesus saw them, please take your seats. He said unto them, Note what Jesus said. He says to them, He sees them. He sees they have leprosy. Doesn't touch them. Doesn't pray for them. <laughs> He, he issues a command filled with faith, power, and healing virtue. Because Jesus knows every word that comes from him is alive and powerful. There is no word that comes from him that is empty of power. And Jesus knows whatever he says becomes. If this was black, when he say it's white, by the time the words leave the mouth, the thing will change from black to white. Whatever he says, can I hear a good amen in that? What does he say? He says, go show yourself to the priests. They're not healed yet. But Jesus speaks about the end product. Go show yourself to the priests. Jesus is calling this man to a place of faith. Can you believe what God tells you when society has ostracized you? Do you believe you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you when you were coming number last at school? Do you believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? When everybody around you is telling everything, go show yourself to the priests. Look at the text, Barcelona, and as they went, oh, as they went, Mamela, Barcelona, as 
means these people, even when they were not healed, they took Jesus at his word because they understood what he was saying when they must show themselves to the priests. So they took a step of faith. The more they walked, the better they got. The more they obeyed, the better things became. I see things getting better and better and better and better and better as you take God at his word. Somebody shout hallelujah in the So it means it's not only Jesus who spoke in faith. It is the recipients of the words of Jesus who received the word in faith. And they took their step. They didn't say, Mara, Jesus, Ganjan, we're not here. You can see us. We just told you. We just cried unclean. Ganjan, when he spoke, we have been rejected too long. We are desperate. It is people who will take God at his word. It is those who will receive the prophetic word. It is those who will receive what God has said as they were. They were healed. Look at the next verse. Now the story changes. Now the story changes. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back. Because there's many people that when God has done something for them, they never turn back. I know so many people who have gone through our church some who've discipled one-on-one, some who've helped one-on-one. When God came through for them, they never came back. In fact, the book of Timothy, Paul talks about the last days. He says, one of the things that's going to afflict the people of the last days is that they will be disrespectful to parents. They will be unlawful then he says they will be unthankful. Ingratitude is a disease of the last days. Today, people don't know how to say thank you. They don't know how to say thank you. Some of you, your parents have raised you struggling. Here you are, you are okay economically. You've run over to the suburbs, which is all right. And you've left your cock or a kaya, not taken care of. And magafona. And that's why I dislike this thing here, with some black text. I don't know how we conjured up that. I don't know how we conjured this black text thing. As a black person, I would like to help my parents. Yeah, I want to help them. I don't want any white man to come and tell me it's black text. As a black person, I want to help my parents. I want to help my brother, my sister. Of course, sometimes they may make unreasonable demands. But I want to help them. Because for me, in my culture, when I succeed, I want to lift up my family too. Don't allow your minds to be poisoned by people who don't understand our culture. In our culture, we help one another. And we don't put a tag on it. All we call it, we call it Ubuntu. That's what it is. 
Black tax, daffer. Who came up with that term? I hear them calling, ah, black tax, yeah, my family. And I'm saying, you are so misled. You should be helping your dad. You should be helping your mom. You can't leave your parent quality who struggled so much putting you through school. Selling tomatoes on the side of the road. Now that you have a degree, work a black tax. Cease. Now that you can speak big terms as an analyst, like a black tax, the fair man. I'm sorry, I'm just angry. It's sickening. And then when your mother, that you've neglected, dies, you want to impress us by buying a, a, a casket for her. And we know how she was suffering. We know how she went to bed without food and you were there. Black text. Ingratitude is a problem. And I pray God that some of you young people, you learn to be thankful. I found that the, the ex generation and the millennials suffer a lot from ingratitude. No, even some of us, the baby boobers. You see, once you have a, a, a heart and a mind of entitlement, you'll never say thank you to anybody. Never say thank you. I'm telling you. You'll never say thank you. Once you, you see, this guy understands what mercy is. And note, he comes back. And note Jesus, this is a profound statement. He came back with a loud voice. Not anyan. Glorified God. And that's why I'm worried by some of you. Maybe some of you, God hasn't done things. Maybe some of you, you haven't learned how to be thankful yet. That's why you will never raise your small onion hand to God. Because why? Mara, you were busy running around at the stadium. When a, a, a leather thing filled with air is being kicked around, you were so overjoyed. But when you come to God, the creator of the heaven and earth, you try to be so proper. You try to be so executive. What is the matter with you? You see the extent and the intensity of praise and worship tells us about the extent of gratitude in a person's heart. Some people are not moved at all. But you see, fellow. How many of you are sitting next to somebody like that? He came back with a loud voice, note Barcelona, earring, and he fell down on his face. You see, this is not a choreographed move. This was not a nice way of kneeling down on a nice pillow, a soft, and a unka, unka di tissue. Come on now. As you are down on your face. Do we have people who know how to praise God like that in this house? I 
I said, do we have people who know how to praise God like that in this house? I said, do we have people who know how to praise God like that in this house? Let us not withhold praise from our God. Let us not withhold gratitude from our God. He found us in the dustbin when everybody had rejected us. Somebody shout hallelujah. Give him praise, somebody give him praise, give him praise, give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. I'm sorry if some of you don't know how to scream and shout. I'm sorry if you're nervous, but God has been too good to me. Hallelujah. He fell down on his face at his feet. A person with a grateful heart is not embarrassed to say thank you and to do so with intensity. Note, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks and watched that last part and he was a Samaritan. How? Take your seats, let me explain it to you. So it means of these ten guys, he was a Samaritan. So he was different to the other nine. <laughs> so even among the rejected. There's still classism. But you like the excess strong Mara. Mara one of the excess strong telling bit better than the other excess strong. Note what Jesus says, the Samaritan comes back. Jesus at a point calls him a stranger. So even among the rejected, even among the people who are poor, even among the people who are suffering, they still have classism. Because as human beings, we are conflicted and afflicted with the virus of classism. But it's funny that the lowest of the lowest has better character. Because when people regard you as low class and they spit you out, you can only run to God. <laughs> and this guy who's the lowest of the lowest comes back and with intensity falls at the feet of Jesus. I'm about to close. Listen to this. This is very dramatic. And Jesus answered and said, Read it again. Read it again. Can you look at me? Can you, can you look at me for a while? Jesus just instructed them. They were far off. So when he instructed them, they turned and left. He, did, he never saw what happened. He never saw what happened. But because Jesus walks in faith, he knows that when he spoke, all ten of them got healed. Even if he didn't see them, he knew that his word is not without power. I said, someone, God's going to heal you here today. You better believe the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus as a man of faith. Says, were there not ten healed? Where are the other nine? Kanja anubuwa u, one. 
So if the ratio of Barcelona, only one out of ten, who's grateful? Then you know how messed up our societies are. But here's what I like. Jesus says, how come that they have not returned to give glory, verse 18, to God, except this stranger? But I like the next part as we close. And he said unto him, arise. King James Version. Go thy way. Read it for me. Thy has done what? Read it again. Earring has done what? Read it again. Earring. Uh huh. Faith shows gratitude. But note, Jesus says we're not ten who were healed. So he says. Ten were healed. But the one who came back, not only was he healed, he was made whole. Let, let me break it down for you. Very important text. Very important. The other nine, when they got one blessing, they took the one blessing, ran with it, and never came back to say thank you. They were prayed for in church. When they got their miracle, they never came back to church. They prayed for the car. Once they got the car, they on Sunday started going around. Instead of going to church. They got one blessing by Inkama Matakayona. What they don't realize, it was just the one blessing. There's a lot more God had in store for you. Ah, you don't know the other one. There's a lot more that God has in store for you. But because of your heart of ingratitude, you only got the one blessing. God doesn't just want to do the one blessing. There is a lot more that God wants to do. And if you will just come back and say thank you, there's a lot more. So this guy... Leprosy in those days, not only did you have all those conditions, it will eat your nose off and eat your ears off. Your ear would fall away, your nose for your fingers fall away. So it means these 10 guys, when they came to Christ, probably some of them were missing noses, ears, everything. So Jesus spoke a word. Leprosy got healed. But their condition was not restored. They got healed of leprosy, but they were missing an ear, they were missing a nose, they were missing fingers. But the one who came back, the one who fell down, the one who spoke with a loud voice, the one who came to say thank you, the outcast Samaritan, the guy who was ostracized when he came with a heart full of gratitude. Jesus said, not only am I going to heal you, I'm going to give you back your nose, back your ear, back your fingers. I'm going to give you more than what you got first time around. In other words, if you will learn to praise God when I go higher, not only will you get the one thing, there's the two things, there's the three things, there's the four things. It's not just this year, it is next year and next year. It is not just you. It's you. It's your children. It's your children's children. Learn to have a heart of gratitude. Can I hear an amen? The one who came back, not only was he healed, he was made whole. I'm telling you that it is your heart of praise. That releases the rest of the blessing that God has in store for you. Don't allow one miracle to blind you. 
Don't allow one degree to make you to become big-headed. Don't allow one big house to make you to go crazy. Don't allow one new car to make you to look at yourself as better than others. Drive the car, come to church, glorify God because there's another one coming. Have the degree, qualify. Come to church, praise God because there's another one coming. Have one church, come to church, praise God because there's another church coming. There's a whole organization coming. I can tell you over the 40 years, I have learned to say thank you, Jesus. And God has led us from one place to another, to another. And I see somebody here moving from one place to another, to another. Let me give you some points as we close, Barcelona. Let's take our seats. How do we make this practical? Oh, Jesus. Just raise your hands and pray in the Holy Ghost, Barcelona, for a while. Let's play something for us. Hallelujah. Mago zebro de belebai godosia noso Oh gosia lotere mahamama Abrega dega agrega lena nensa mbraga laga doro yala boka renanga Ah nyenyende setreta Come on everybody thank him thank him practice what you are learning Practice what you are learning Come on Raise those hands they will not drop off they will not fall off raise them up Thank him with all your heart. Try to do it from your heart today. Thank you, Lord. Tanda mahope, shamla katra katabari dekoso, ongreske preferabaliato. Pray, pray, pray. Thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him. Machata la manimbro katara bayalaba, raba ba 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 bresakara dabra, arade dabab. Mama, mama, mama. Masekatoro, pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, bless him. I don't want to push you, but please just bless him. Ayresekatos. Continue to praise him, continue to play, pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in the goodness of God. Because all my life you have been faithful.
Let me give you four things quickly. You can remain standing. Practical ways to thank God daily. Number one, keep a record of your blessing journal. Write down the things that God's done for you. Number two, develop a daily rhythm of thanking God for His love every morning and His faithfulness every evening. The early church fathers had a rhythm to their days so that Christ would be central in their gratitude. Number three, record the dates of significant God encounters in your life. That is why you know it, Barcelona. I remember all the dates when I got saved, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, when I got married, all those dates. Those are important dates, dates of God encounters. Write them down. And I ask you on these days, celebrate the whole day and remind yourself. And if it is, there are people that God used in your life on those days. Give them a call. Without fail, I found people whom God used in me being born again. I called them on the day I was born again, 5th of August, 1978. Every 5th of August, I'll give them a call. And I'll say to them, thank you for God having used you, those who led me to the Lord, those who counseled me, even those who helped me grow in the Lord. One of them who followed me up, I remember the year he passed, I called him. Tatemandla Adonis. I didn't know, I hadn't seen him for years, and I didn't know he was terminally ill. I didn't know that. I looked for his number and found it and, and, I, and I called him to say thank you. What I didn't know was that he had been lying there for many days, never wanted to take any phone call from anybody. But somehow when I phoned, he took my call and I don't think he knew my number. And I said to him, and I didn't know he was ill and I said, I just wanted to thank you. Today as I celebrate, I don't remember how many years I was, I just wanted to thank you for having followed me up. After I got saved, two weeks later, you came to my home to do follow-up. Today, here I am, I'm a minister of the gospel, and I'm still born again, if it was not for you. And he wept. He cried, and I could hear him choking in his tears. And he said, thank you, you will never know what this means to me. Three days later, he went home to be with the Lord. And his family told me afterwards that they said, that whole day, Different to all other days where he was so gloomy and things were so difficult. That day he was beaming with joy just because of that phone call. You know, there are so many people who have done things for you. I wish you knew what a thank you means to them. I wish you knew. I wish you knew. So, Basalana, write those dates. And I appreciate our pastors. Many of them, they'll send me a text and say, this is so many years I've been in ministry. The, our church is so many years. They send me a text to say we thank God. Develop that habit was an of gratitude. And in conclusion, as we all stand on our feet right now, please. Listen to worship music that whole day. Or as often as you can in a daily basis. That will prompt you to thanksgiving. And this is why I say, you know, I, I sometimes don't understand the misunderstanding of people when it comes to music. Different genres of music are meant for different things. There are songs that are meant for Thanksgiving. And uh, I have that habit. I, when I'm at home, when I'm cleaning or I'm doing something, I'm always listening either to preaching or to music, gospel music. To just have a heart of Thanksgiving in my car. And as you listen, ask the Holy Spirit to stir up gratitude in your heart. 
for all that the Lord has done. Develop a heart of gratitude. Learn to say thank you. Some of you, your assignment today is to go back to your parents, wherever they are. Just go kneel and say thank you. Or give them a call. Some of them, it could be your pastor. Could be your cell leader. Could be your department head. Could be your children. Could be your parents. Instead of wanting more and more and seeing their deficiencies, if you knew what it costs, I had a conversation with a young person the other day, and this is my closing remarks. And this young person said to me, you know, you told me years ago when I was young that adulthood, as you grow up, a lot of things about life is repetition and routine. Because now they're grown up, they have a family of their own, they have a, a child to raise. And now they understand what's involved in the routine. You know, in a neighborhood, I... I see our neighbors and, and I see this particular family, this young lady who has a child. And, and every morning, I was telling my wife, every morning between six and quarter past six, she lives with that child. She, she's working and she's taking the child to school. And I was thinking the other day, imagine when this girl, this baby is 16 years old, when she's going to come to mom and say, mom, you were never there for me. Just slap in the face. Through winter, summer, rain or shine. And I know her, that's why at that time, she's the one who washed this child. She's the one who fed this child. Mama, please. And sometimes we don't have gratitude in our hearts. And I want to ask you, Grace Bible Church, let's not be among the nine. Let's not be among the nine. Why do we have December? Why do we have December as a Thanksgiving month to show gratitude? Why do we have our pastor's appreciation day to show gratitude? Why do we have Founders Day to show gratitude? It's not about money. It's not about making money. It's about learning to have a heart of gratitude. I do this with the people who've led me to the Lord. There are significant days. I said to Mama, I'm going to be honoring them. I'll go there, give them an offering, thank them for having been good. If it wasn't for them, where would I be? And I know some of you say, no, it's God, it's God. Hey, let me tell you, God uses people. Yeah. He never descends from heaven to help you. God uses a person. Yeah, I know it's all God. And when we thank people, we're not thanking them because they're God. We're thanking them for being the instrument that God has used. Yeah. Please bow your heads and close your eyes as you stand. I want to make a call to those of you who are here for the first time and maybe this is not your first time to say to you, you've heard how God looks at all of us and doesn't reject anyone. Maybe one of the greatest barriers of you going to church is the way church people treated you. And I'm sorry, sometimes we church people can really be nasty. And we misrepresent who Christ is. And we are like Pharisees. We, we become a blockage to the door that leads people to Christ. But as you listen today, you realize that no matter what it is and the drama that has gone on in your life, God loves you. No matter what you've done, what you've gone through, God sees you as valuable and precious. And as it is, you 
You are out of fellowship with God and you don't like it. Your life is not where it should be. You are aware of it. But as you've been sitting here, you can hear the words of hope. You can see that there's hope for you. You can see that God cares for you and loves you and you are ready this morning to say, you know what? I want to give my life to Christ. I want to come just as I am. With all the issues in my life, I want to bring my broken life to Christ and I know he can fix it. I ask you to pray for me, please, Bishop. Our heads bowed, please, our eyes closed. If that is you and you need the prayer, right where you are, would you please just raise your hands, just indicate by raising your hand and I'll, I'll know it's a sign that I need prayer. Raise it high, let me see the hand. Thank you for those hands all over the place. Don't be afraid. Remember what I said. We are here as a place of broken people. This is a place where God traffics in human life. This is the big ICU unit, God's operation room, where God as the master physician operates on the lives of people to bring us back again. Raise your hand, please, my friend. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. No one's going to laugh at you. And don't worry what they say. I ask all of those who raised your hands, I want to pray for you. I know you mean it. I know you really want God to help you. Would you just come from where you're standing? Take all your belongings, please. Don't leave your belongings behind and make your way to the front. Come all the way and stand in front facing the stage here. Come stand here, young man, facing me. Thank you. Thank you, young man. Thank you. Just stand right there. Good.